welcome to Annalise Labor's Speak Out podcast. In these regular chats, we consider and debate the issues and actions that affect us in our local communities, our state, our nation, and the world. Today, we're speaking about Labor women, what we work for, what we work towards, and why, and what it means to us to be women in the 21st century, how we add value to people and activities in our private and public lives. Why are we talking about this? I mean, we've made it, haven't we? Women can work, play, control their reproductive options, raise a family, own property, vote. Isn't that where we wanted to be, where we are now in the 21st century, enjoying life in a way that probably the early suffragettes may never have even dreamed of? We've continued the good fight and we've won, haven't we? It's really a topic dear to my heart as a woman growing up in the feminist second wave in the 70s. And of course, since then, like many issues, conversations and actions around feminism and women in the world have become more complex, sometimes seeming to move on from the basics of equal pay, voting rights, financial and social opportunities. Yet often we keep coming back to those baseline elements because new challenges have arisen. Like me, I'm a progressive feminist, and you might be too, but there are other forms or lenses of feminism. Some people call themselves liberal feminists. Others say they're radical feminists, black feminists, queer feminists, feminists who believe in difference, that women are inherently different from men and need separate and more targeted services and supports. What do you think about this? To unpick and unpack some of these ideas and what women in labour are currently working on, with me today are a number of women in our branch with expertise in a range of fields, STEM, social science and culture, policy and politics, and they have a range of experiences and characteristics. Some of us are younger, some of us are older. Some of us come from different cultural and personal backgrounds. They might be working, they might be toiling away in the private sphere. So I'd like to welcome my guest today. Hi, Carly, welcome. Hey, Katie, welcome to you. Thanks, Trish. And Gabrielle, welcome to you. Thanks, Trish. So thanks for taking time out of your busy schedules to be here today. Let's talk about where each of you are at in the party and in the branch and why you continue to work and be interested in this issue of women in the world and women in labour. So Carly, let me start with you. You've described yourself as someone who's working on progressive change and you've been newly elected as our secretary to the Labor Women's Network. What's driving you to do the work that you're doing for women and for other policy issues in Labor? Um, so I have been elected onto the Labor Women's Network Executive Committee as a committee member. And the really big thing there, I think for us is around, we've made some fantastic gains but how do we make sure that our party 
is truly representative of our community. And at a fundamental level, that means making sure we have enough women elected into all different kinds of roles within our party. There are some women in our party who really, really want to be a public facing elected official um, or an, an MP. But there are other people and other women in our party who really want to do a policy role or a campaigning role. And it's important that we make sure that at every level of our party and in all of those different aspects of our party, it's representative of our community. And that's making sure that it's we've got women in those positions as well. Are you sort of hinting at the idea that at this point, that kind of equal representation, uh, we're not there yet in the branch or in the party? I think we're getting there. And I think we're certainly further along than what we used to be. Um, the Labor Party quite famously has brought in quotas and affirmative action. And that's a really great thing. And that has led to fundamental generational change within our own party. But the fight and the job is never done. Um, it is important now that we have those things in place that we actually use our power and we make sure that we do follow those values that have been set out within AA and actually you know, stand up and say, well, no, we need more women. Our rules say this. We're going to make sure that we hold true to what we've fought for. And, and that word affirmative action and the word quotas, that really uh, gets a reaction from some people, doesn't it? I mean, it does. why, do you, why do you think that is? What, what do you think people's difficulties are with that and, and those approaches? I think there's a few things that people bring to that. Um, first off, there's, there's this school of thought that, well, everything should be merit-based. And, of course, that is true. Um, we want, you know, the best people to be in all of the positions that matter. We want the best people in our party, 100%. But this idea that somehow by saying and acknowledging that there have been barriers time after time for women to go into these roles that we're going to put in a mechanism to make sure that women are put forward for these roles is somehow going to lend itself to meritless women then being elected is quite frankly ludicrous it, it is it also, um, yes i agree it, i agree it it, it it seems bizarre because I think you've touched on one aspect of that debate that, yeah, people think that selection processes are going to somehow be lesser. I think the other side to that coin is that there's an assumption that every man who ever got any job in any sphere has always done that on merit uh, without recourse to uh, networks, without recourse to bias in the people who select people. Uh, that's something that's been really irking me for a while uh, and, and that's another side to the the idea and, and the process and, and the definition I think that some people forget uh, and I know uh, Katie you talk about equality in this sense as well so if, if I could bring you in here 
you know, you're you're a person who works um, in uh, the STEM sort of field. You're, you're a scientist yourself, I believe, and you talk about equal opportunity uh, and particularly getting women into professional leadership roles in decision making uh, in in particular fields. So. What are your thoughts, you know, what's driving you and your activism in this area? Yeah, um, for me, Trish, I, you see in science, um, you know, we, we basically have a set of standards in, in the kind of the STEM um, areas where we think that, you know, if you're smart enough or good enough, um, it shouldn't matter who you are, you'll be able to do the work and get by. And what we actually see in reality is that uh, there are a lot of structural barriers and process barriers and standards that have been basically brought about by, I'm going to go full feminist here, but, but by our patriarchal society, by this uh, essentially male lens that we look at everything through. And so for me... Uh, uh, to, to see women in leadership and particularly to see women uh, in, in leadership in areas like STEM where you need to have a certain set of skills as well as kind of climb that ladder, which is really difficult to do, we need to actually change those standards. And we need to recognise that those standards don't necessarily fit um, everyone in the world. And it's, it's not just applicable to women. Um, it's applicable to to all kinds of diversity uh, where we get trapped by this essentially. So that's that's why I'm interested in it. Yes, I agree. And uh, I mean, you, you know, you peg yourself as a radical sort of structural feminist, yet you, you're moving into that other lens, which I think we all do. We we borrow from all those lenses because many of us would agree with you that it is about power and it's often about hidden power and the bias that comes with that um and you touched on some of the process barriers what can you tell us more about that what what do you mean by that or what has been your experience yeah there's some really good examples um in science uh a lot of colleagues uh so i was never a researcher but a lot of my uh, colleagues were researchers and and the standards there whereby uh you the, the saying is publish or perish um and uh you're you're grant funded often when you're in research and for women uh who are more likely to take a career break they you know they're not there publishing for a year or two years or longer um, they're not able to get grants because they're not going to be working for long periods of time. And these cut into their careers. And what it means is that it breaks up this, this career path that, that essentially males have an easier go of in this system because for females it's broken up. In my experience, and this is why we don't see a lot of uh, STEM sector leaders who are women. It's particularly bad in um, areas like engineering and mathematics and physics. But uh, the, the fact that their careers are broken uh, in, in places along the kind of formative years of their careers means that they can't progress any further. So they don't uh, they either don't stay in research because it just doesn't work out for them. They don't get jobs. They don't get postgrad jobs. They don't get grants. They can't do research. 
Um, so they end, end up going and doing routine work or they end up leaving science altogether. And it's a huge proportion of uh, people who we support to do PhDs, particularly women, who end up leaving altogether and doing something else, which is really terrible. Yes, and I, I, again, I think you've you've touched on something very important here. It, it's no doubt that the merit is there, the, the qualifications are there for women, but what you're touching on is things that have got nothing to do with people's expertise, with women's expertise. And I'd like to bring Gabrielle in here because when I was speaking with Gabrielle earlier and one of her main uh, foci has been on childcare and, and stating that Labor has done a great job. And, and, you know, you think of what's happened in the last 20 to 30 years in supporting women and, and moving into supporting uh, parents uh, generally uh, and sharing that load of the work in the home. And certainly that has, has come to a fore in, in COVID times, new research showing that women are still bearing the, the major uh, effort in that field. So, Gabrielle, why particularly have you mentioned childcare? What's been your experience either personally or professionally in working um, and in the Labor Party about where we've come from to support women in, in one of those critical areas to get them into the public sphere via good childcare? Well, I think that I would approach good childcare from the an emphasis on the good childcare. Um, because as we all know, the range of different kinds of childcare are enormous. So I come from a family with full of with teachers. So always our focus is on things like an early childhood teachers. So um, childcare is very important there. And um, particularly as a, as a person who is a socialist feminist, the perspective I'd like to take on childcare is on children's literacy in terms of written language and and also their oral literacy so in terms of being able to speak I know that and and perhaps this is too complex is um our focus has all I mean for me the focus has always been on children and as a child as an adult you know um this is this has always been the case and Carly as a teacher would would totally get what I'm talking about so when we focus on children, we need to focus on what is age appropriate. So some children come to school and they are really poor in their ability to have a conversation. They really, no one talks to them. So one of the things that childcare is really important for is teaching children to talk, to tell their story. They have language basics. So learning any language, particularly even in English. I know it's it's hard for some people to understand, but the fact that parents will hand a child a phone to occupy their time is, is causing a lot of children to have a language deficit. So they arrive at school and they can't have a conversation. So childcare can address those kinds of things. So at childcare, a child can learn basic social interactive skills that a lot of children are just not getting. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but it is true. And it's been increasingly true over time. Um, so for me, that's why childcare is important. But 
Um, it has to be quality childcare so that those kind of issues can be addressed, as well as children's nutrition, all a totally, basically, really important issue. So, um, look, in my experience, and I'm 60, if women don't concern themselves with the welfare of children, nobody does. Yes, so, I, I, yes, it's a very important point. Uh, many would say that it, it, it's the responsibility of parents as a whole, men and women. It's everybody's responsibility. That's and, right. And those kind of public policy issues are, are something we really need to grapple with. So quality childcare is absolutely important. And I think that this is something people don't think of. So family daycare programs can be quality childcare. Childcare centres can be quality childcare. Both of those can also be really bad. But yes. There aren't enough places for, and you hear conversations that people have around um, that child, that child's parents are unemployed. Why are they going to childcare? Well, you know, they're going to childcare because that parent recognises that their child will learn things that they don't know how to teach them. And, yes. you know, that's invaluable. And I'm sorry. That, that's no, they're very good points. I, I think you trust uh, touch on things that uh, are dear to uh, parents' hearts uh, and uh, mothers and fathers in this regard. And yeah. it's very similar to aged care and the huge debate that's yeah. now reared its ugly head again after five inquiries over as many decades uh, with regard to uh, taking that burden away from women. Uh, you know, the, the state forming a partnership with individuals in terms of what our rights and responsibilities are, what we pay our taxes for, because if aged care or childcare is quality, it allows people to engage in those other aspects of life, either publicly or as volunteers or in their, in their wider family circles in the private world. And I think it's a fantastic social support uh, they are with regard to supporting women to be able to have opportunities in all those other areas. And I know you also touched on those other social supports, which as socialist or progressive uh, feminists, which I think many of us are in our branch, uh, we are looking at policy around housing and health as well. Uh, I know, you know, it made me really think in the last budget in May where certain analysts came out talking about it being a sexist budget uh, and not doing enough for women in these areas of social supports that allow women to uh, be represented better in the public sphere. Uh, Carly, back to you on that regard. Touching on those things that Gabrielle was talking about and, and your experience as a parent, as a uh, public professional, as an educator, what do you think our branch is doing and the Labor Party more broadly is doing or should be doing better in these areas? I think what Gabrielle was talking about there too is around the fact that there are huge economic benefits, not just social benefits, but economic benefits to things like quality childcare. Because if you have quality options for children, 
you are going to have more women wanting and feeling like there are quality options for them so that they can get back into the workforce or back into public life, as you were saying, in, in all the different forms that that can take. So there is an economic dividend to this as well that benefits everybody. And as Katie was saying earlier, people, women especially having to take large breaks from their careers, that does have a detrimental effect in, in all areas, no matter where you, your work is. You can see people who, you know, have gone on the same track but have had different stops along the way and therefore where they've ended up at the same time along the way is very different. And that can be really disheartening for women in particular to see that they're putting in all this effort, not only in their public facing life, but also in their private life as well, where yes, they are, you know, on average um, doing more of the care, more of the work at home, more of the kind of unpaid, unseen work and feeling like they're kind of not getting anywhere at the end of it or that where they're getting is not to the same place that others are. And that can be really disheartening. So I think that it's been really good to see successive Labor governments take on these social issues and put that economic lens over them as well and show the wider society how important things like quality age care, quality childcare, quality education system full stop, quality healthcare, all of these things are so important and can be pushed aside by some as thinking, oh, that's just a social issue. Well, actually, all of these social issues affect our society on so many different levels. Yes, it's definitely true what you're saying. The supports, and Katie, I might bring you in here again in terms of what you're specifically looking for. Uh, there's been a lot of research about this issue of women having to take career breaks and uh, being behind their male counterparts in, in terms of career. Uh, it, it affects their superannuation, uh, which means their financial stability and choices. Uh, it affects uh, wages generally. What, what are you looking for, Katie, from the Labor Party and for the, for the work that you're doing in our branch and the party more broadly to look at some of those issues or, or related issues? Um, there's a couple of things. And, I mean, for me, uh, I'm very appreciative of the, uh, the Labor uh, view of putting essentially a, a, a women's lens over um, budgets and um, other things like that, other policies, uh, because I think that really informs us. And I, this is one of the reasons that I actually joined the Labor Party was because I actually think we need to be having those conversations. Um, I know there are people out there that don't want to hear it, but having a women's budget um, means that it's top of people's minds and so just literally seeing things like women's budget in in the news um that's that's really good um from my my perspective there's a lot of things like obviously this stuff is multifactorial right we've got um you know I've talked about science a little bit and there's you know when you talk about um science and women in science you're also talking about education 
um, which, you know, women are accessing at higher rates but are ending up with less well-paying jobs. Um, there's things like childcare, which has already been touched upon. And, um, you know, if you're working long research hours, you need good quality childcare. Um, and, and, you know, that's something that women are looking at when they go into these jobs. So it's, it, it, for me, the fact that labour looks at society as a whole and thinks about policy uh, empowering the average person to be able to have the opportunities to do what they need, that's, that's really the crux of it for me. Would you agree that... Uh, there is enough resources out there. I often think they're putting resources, uh, particularly the right, they're putting resources into strange and um, arcane areas like building a new uh, war memorial, um, defence funding. Uh, there's some people who have been doing analysis in this area who are saying there is enough money there because often when we look at how we're going to fund some of these things the old chestnut arises how are we going to afford this and of course that this is the conversation happening with the aged care support and better wages for aged care workers etc who also are predominantly women and possibly from uh, other cultural backgrounds uh, who do have degrees but cannot get work in any other field in australia Gabrielle, you've got a major interest in this idea of multicultural uh, activities that we do in the branch and looking at policy in this area. Are these some of the policy things that you're looking at too for women from different cultural backgrounds who end up at the bottom of the wage scale in some of these uh, industries? Um, it's been true of um, immigrants for in Australia for perhaps a hundred years <laughs> that they start at the bottom of the wage scale. Um, what they do is they work in those jobs all their lives and they they stress education as the, for their children as their most important priority. So they will work two or three jobs in order for their children to benefit from their lives of um, working hard in whatever sort of work they can get as cleaners in factories, people that I know. Um, there, were, there are numerous stories of people in the post-war migration who had university degrees, qualifications, who just went to work in factories because um, it, was a, it was easier than trying to learn English. So they got a barrier with language so those people, and then the next generation, those people, those Vietnamese people who came in boats by their thousands, that was the same story for them. There was a whole mix of different education levels, men and women. It's always the same way. And now we've got, a, a, we've got waves of migrants from different places. And I have to say that services for migrants now are in, in that they can learn English, which is always the number one priority for not working in a low wage job is to be able to speak English. So this is always the difficulty for people that they have to learn English and then they can, but then they have to re-qualify. Nobody with an overseas qualification, unless they come from England 
or the United States can have their degrees usually recognized. So engineers, doctors, it doesn't matter. They, they don't get their qualifications recognized. They have to do another university degree on top of the one they have already done. Even I remember teaching English to a refugee who was an engineer and worked in the hydroelectric system in Egypt. And yet the only work he could get in Australia was as a cleaner. Like that is such a common story. I just couldn't tell you. Um, so that, the same applies for women. Although it's usually men that have qualifications because of the complex story of migration that people have. Yes, um, it seems women from different cultural backgrounds also yeah. have extra um, yeah. uh, challenges to face. In you do, and it's, it's the whole thing about caring. So women usually, and in, in our culture, as well as uh, migrant cultures, are expected to do the majority of caring in a family. So you're responsible for um, children, parents, you know, that that is a tremendously a common expectation so yes everybody has that this is the story of my life I've spent it caring for children parents I'm still doing it and yes. other relatives so and I guess you know. it's not it's not we think it's confined to other cultures and and certainly no. to come here and of course it's not uh, no. These are the these are the issues that women in Western countries are still looking at. Yes. I think there's no doubt about that. Uh, that's why we're having this discussion. I think that you know these things are hidden. As I say, liberal feminists, uh, liberal uh, people in, in this field think that we've made it, but we have not. Um, there's still a way to go. Back to you, Carly, and we'll just go around to each of you one more time. Carly, what, what's the one thing that you would like to see in the next decade come to fruition to support women in terms of equality and in terms of equity, access to things that are important to them? I think that um, intersectional feminism is really important and this understanding that just because one group of women may have access to something, that doesn't mean that the job is done and that doesn't mean that all women have access then. So ensuring that all women, no matter their circumstances, have access to the things that we have been fighting for and continue to fight for is really, really important. Um, I think the other big change that we are seeing is around women's health and women's reproductive health in particular. We're seeing some really great changes when it comes to access to sanitation products. It is heartbreaking to see the stats of how many women are missing out on education and on work through their monthly and menstrual um, cycles. Like that is just heartbreaking to think that we have young girls who are missing out on school because they don't have access to these sort of products, to this education, to this healthcare. So that's really, really important. It is a massive step forward, even from when I was younger and at school, how much conversation there is and, and education there is out there about this issue now, but that needs to continue working forward. Yeah. Um, and we're, we're just running out of time, Carly, but I, I agree with you that you know, again, this is a back to absolute basics, you know, 
we really need to look at some of these things and dive deeper. Um, if I can move on to Katie, what we've got a couple of minutes left, Katie, and just in 30 seconds, what's the one thing you'd like to be working on in the next decade? I'd like to see more women leading uh, scientific organisations, engineering organisations, um, infrastructure, health, uh, all of those areas. And I'd like those women to then get into politics. Um, I think that would be fantastic and would add so much to our society. I think that's a great aim. And again, the other side of that is I think we need to have more men in traditional female roles and places so that jobs either in the public sphere or private sphere are shared equally. But yes, definitely we need to start with getting more women into those uh, traditionally male areas. And yeah, just one more thought from you, Gabrielle, something that you will be working on in the next decade uh, for women uh, through the Labor Party. Well, what I would like to see is for the, there to be a proper legal process that is effective and works on dealing with domestic and family violence. For me, that's the number one thing that women have to face at the moment. I, I really would love to see, and, and I think that, in, that the Labor government in Queensland is really working on trying to get effective strategies, but what in 10 years' time, I would love to see that being ac actually effective because in my lifetime, I've seen nothing effective so far. And it is disheartening. Uh, yeah. But I guess if we look back over 50, 100 years, the old saying, we have come a long way, baby, is true. But again, we are still talking about things that are absolutely fundamental to women's bodies, to their lives, yeah. to their safety, let alone their education um, and uh, getting careers. But I think that's all part of the tapestry of doing good work in the Labor Party. And... It sounds like we've got some fantastic people in our branch. So thank you, Carly. Thank you, Katie. And thank you, Gabrielle. And that's all uh, from us today for the Annerley Labor podcast. Uh, you know, it's a way for us to connect with our branch members and engage with each other and, and build that understanding about the policies that we're focusing on. So thank you all. And we'll talk next time. Bye.